The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Rapid Sales Accelerator. If you're ready to skyrocket your sales by 30% or more in just 90 days, then you need to claim your free training right now. You'll learn four words that will compel your prospects to trust you like they were children within the first three to five minutes of any conversation across any platform and any medium. You'll learn how to give your prospects objection amnesia to crush objections like I need to talk to my spouse or I need more time to think it over or it's too expensive. And finally, you'll get a free recorded audio training that will install unbelievable attitudes for success and wipe out any limiting beliefs. So if you'd like to claim your free training now, go to www.paulrossbook.com. Do it before your competition does it now. Welcome to the Influencer's Edge. This is the place where you come to get the latest breakthroughs, cutting edge insights, tools, and techniques to leapfrog over the pack in sales, persuasion, and influence. Be sure you visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com. And while you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now sit back, tune in, and enjoy today's episode. All right, welcome to today's episode of the Influencer's Edge. I have a guest who I'm going to challenge, get into his brain, because he's from a certain area of of life and vocation that I've struggled with. I'm talking about academia, and we're going to get into the difference between being academically educated and actually being able to do things in the real world. So I warned you right up front, Grant. So our guest today is Dr. Dr. I've got this pain in my appendix. Can you tell me what that means? Sure, I could bullshit you through that if you'd like. Okay, Dr. Grant Van Ulbrick, right? Uh That's correct. You're the Global Director of Sales Transformation at Royal Caribbean Group based in London, UK. Stop right there. I expected I'd hear a lovely British accent. But you talk like uh, an American. What what are you doing all the way in the UK, buddy? You know, uh, have you ever heard that little land called Kansas, where Dorothy and Toto is? Yeah. Well, I hopped on the first twister and I said, get me out of here. <laughs> this is where I ended up. So, yeah, I'm from the States, uh, but I've been in the cruise and travel industry for nearly most of my adult life. So, all oh, over the world. Oh, and, now I put it together, Royal Caribbean. Wait, yeah. did so... Pause just a second, because I like to go off on tangents. Our guests are, are into sales, but some of them are into mind control and influence and persuasion. But let's get into the sales piece. I thought Royal Caribbean tanked during COVID. Didn't everything yeah. just go south? Well, for the cruise industry, it did go south. I mean, $26 billion in 63 ships around the world, almost 100,000 employees. We went from that to zero revenue instantly. And we stayed there for almost two years, but we emerged stronger than ever. Um, All of our ships are fully booked, fully sailing. All of our our crew and our employees are back and we're having record-breaking earnings out of our 53-year history. So scared, so what, is what we're going to talk about. But I would, if I was the director or on the board of directors or stockholders of Royal Caribbean during those two years of tanking, I would be scared shitless and for good reason. (laughs) We were. So let me just challenge you right away. Scared so what? We'll get into the rest of your biography. 
Well, let me go through it and then we'll get on it. He's okay. the founding fellow, my, my, of the Institute of Sales Professionals, formerly known as the Association of Professional Sales. Okay, there's a name change. His work has been published in the Journal of Sales Transformation, who knew? The Change Management Review and featured by the Institute of Sales Professionals, the Oxford Review. My, my, are we snoity big boity? Uh, Consumer <laughs> Sales Business School and the Sales Educators Academy. And we're going to be talking about Scared So What? The Change Management for Sales Team by a Sales Team Leader. All right. Let me start with the first. I got to put this on the table because it's my first challenge. For me, PhD stands for piled higher and deeper. Uh, people who are in academia, I know my top sales coaches and copywriters, they all flunked out of school. None of them, some of them flunked out of high school, but they learned by pounding uh, by the doctrine. Have you heard of the doctrine? I believe Plato came up with it, of poundus desandus. They pounded sand and got out there. So what makes an academic qualified to teach about what works in the real world for sales? And then we'll get into scared so what. Sounds perfect. Well, you're, you'll be happy to know it is not a PhD. It is an equivalent, but it's actually called a DPROF, a Doctor of Professional Studies. And you do this in work-based studies. So you do it in your practicing studies within your work environment. And in order to be qualified to get into it, you had to have bodies of public works already in existence before you can be accepted. So it is for practitioners who actively work in professions and who put their practice into play. And once you're qualified to get in, then you go through the doctoral studies. So I am an actual sales professional, many, many years leading global sales teams. And I went to school uh, doing the first master's in sales in the world here at Middlesex University. Um, did the master's. This is where I learned about global change and how to lead it. And I challenged uh, my professors. And then uh, that's where I created. I love that. I love that. Hold, pause, pause. That's interesting. Yeah. So you have a mindset of challenging authority, correct? Well, a little bit. Yes, my parents would say. <laughs> well, uh, let's get into that because I told Grant, Dr. Grant, before we went on the air that I like to look at my interviews as sort of putting my guests on the psychiatrist's couch. And I'm the psychiatrist, but I don't dispense medication. So Talk about that. How much do you think that atmosphere of challenging authority in your early days led to the person who challenged academic authority? And do you think you would have the success you have without that challenging mindset? Those are two. No, yeah, I, I honestly don't think I would have had the success. Um, the challenging of authority came at early years for me with my parents, um, born and raised in Kansas, which, which is the Bible Belt. Um, oh, I'm I am gay, and that was a bad place to be. Oh, uh, very I can place imagine. To be. That can would imagine. be like me, a Jew, being in a KKK meeting. <laughs> exactly. And somehow I had to uh, survive that. So very challenging years. And on to top that all off, to get out of Kansas, I joined the U.S. Navy back when it was illegal to be gay. And so that was, was legal. Pause, pause again. It was against the law or they just wouldn't recruit you? No, it was against the law. It was before uh, Bill Clinton passed the Don't Ask, Don't Tell. 
all the witch hunts were going on time. And, and back then in 1992, when I went in, the sergeant who would sign you up still asked, have you ever practiced in XXX? And I told him no in my very high voice. And he actually laughed and he said, son, I'm going to ask you that again. And my mom, <laughs> my mom said, he said no. <laughs> so like, right, ma'am, we'll let him in. And that's how I got to Kansas. Um, so you can imagine, um, challenging authority was was always there, part of who I was. But I, you know, I had major, major trauma change incidents happen in my life. Tell me. This is what times, I want to know. Yeah, two instances in my life, I actually went homeless. Uh, one was in uh, right after that uh, naval experience. So I signed up for four years. I went in and I became an air traffic controller on an aircraft carrier. And was whoa, how cool is that? It was, it was very cool, very hard, if you can imagine. Um, but I was deployed overseas. We did Southern Watch um, on the USS Carl Vinson. And I served three years, six months on board that vessel with my shipmates um, until we finished our deployment and came back to the United States. And the witch hunts were still going on. This was before ships were going to be um, uh, transitioned and retrofitted to be uh, unisex. So you can have both male and female on board because when I was on board, it was all men. And so there was a deep drive to get rid of L, you know, gays and lesbians on board ships. I, I think, well, let me pause. This is disgusting yeah. to me. The fact that this has even been an issue in our country is yeah. vile, is vile to me and deeply personally offensive. I'm sorry, this is, I no, should interview about me, but go ahead. No, you're fine. So, but this is part of my character and what, what develops me to be where I am today to be able to create this model. So the, the Navy discharged me in San Francisco Bay. And when they do that, you pack up your bags, you have five bucks in your pocket. They drive you off the ship and drive you across the base and they dump you at the front of the base. What do you do? Instantly, you're homeless. Um, I had a car in the ship's parking lot there in the bay and I slept in it for about two, three weeks. Um, went into restaurants, would shower in bathrooms until I could find a job. Um, and I did. And I, I was not going to let being homeless be the end of me, but I understand how people get that way. Um, yeah. I got a job, I transitioned. Fast forward five years later, I'm a regional director in sales in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, I had my own condo, bought my own cars, my furniture, et cetera. Decided to go celebrate with some friends and we went uh, north to Lake Tahoe to go skiing, only to find out I don't know how to ski. It was my first oh. time ever. And I went, as my friends went left off the gondola, I went head first straight over the cliff. And it was a 20 foot drop into the snow. That damn rock wouldn't move. And my head went this way and the rock just broke my shoulder. My whole left shoulder was down four inches. And what I didn't realize after I woke up at the base of the mountain was that I was going to face a year of three surgeries, two titanium plates and 12 pins to be put in and adjusted. And back then, you know, well, even now, there's no social medicine. There's no universal health care. So my medical bills quickly rose into the six-figure salaries or uh, numbers. I had to get rid of my home. I had to get rid of my furniture, my cars. You go on state disability from making a six-figure salary down to $700 a month. You can't survive. That would scare the shit out of me. That was scared my second so, Scared yeah. so what my ass, Grant. Well, I was terrified. But again, second time I thought, I am not going to allow this. This can't be the end of me. Um, but fate was knocking at my door and pulling my legs out from under me. 
but I survived, right? A year later, my, well, my friends had rehomed me and a year later after my third surgery and I got the plates and pens out, I saw an advertisement for the cruise industry in the United States. It was Norwegian Cruise Line wanting to hire all American crew for three ships. And I said, you know what? Life's too short. It's not about the money. It's about living and doing and being where you're accepted, being where you want to be, et cetera. So I joined the cruise industry. It was a $20,000 job, port lecturer on board the ship, telling people what they're going to do, what they're going to see, and how to make the most of the voyage and the vacation. The I love thought, <laughs> it, was, it was, you know, and true acceptance, true yeah. diversity, true inclusion. I've been doing it ever since, you know, and that's 20 plus years later. Um, so right. it, it's been such an adventure. You you answer that question. Let's. I I had to do it. All right. <laughs> Change management review. Blah 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 blah. All right. So what does bespoke mean? It says introduces the world's first bespoke personal change model. Scared. So what? What does bespoke mean? That's a British word. Yeah, bespoke means customized, specific. It's customized. Um, okay. Tailored okay. would be another word. So if you look at, you know, and let's just kind of back up just a little bit, you know, change does not stop in your life. We are faced with constant change every single day. But let me ask you this, Paul, have you ever been taught how to manage personal change for yourself? As a matter of fact, yes, to my staff, I'm unique because, uh, well, I'm, I'm not eh, kind of unique. I've studied neurolinguistic programming and meditation. So I have those pra and hypnosis. So I have those practices and I also have mentors and guides who make me accountable and make sure I'm on track. So in my case, yes, but I want to hear your methodology because 99% of the people don't have it. Well, exactly. And actually, and out of all of my podcast webinars and even my TED talk, you're the first person on the planet that said yes. Uh, so it's, there's got to be somebody out there. But if you think about it, over a hundred years, there are organizational change models and galore. There's so many different ones. And when I started into the master's program, we were taught the top eight global organizational change models. And we were also taught why they fail. Um, and we were encouraged to reach out to the authors and creators of these models that are still living and get their perspectives. And I did that. But in the master's program, I challenged them quickly because of my experiences in my life. I rejected that change. And when you look at typical organizational change models, they're prescriptive. They say you'll go through a process. You might be upset. You might be angry. You might resist. But at the end, you'll accept and the change is done. And I just I froze there in class. You know, and in, in this, this is a different type of uh, doctoral program. It's senior vice presidents and executives of, of sales programs at other right. companies. And so my I'm sitting there and my professor said, Grant, what's wrong? And I said, I can't use any of these models on my people. I lead global sales teams around the world. I can't use these. These are prescriptive. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, can you accept change? Yes. Can you reject change? Yes. And can you also be stuck in the middle with uncertainty and say, I don't know what to do? Yeah. Yes. These models don't include that. They don't include that at all. And so no wonder organizational change has such a high tendency for failure. You're not including the individual. And I said, where's the model for me, for me to learn how to manage personal change? I'm an everyday citizen. Where's that model? And the professor said, perhaps you should make it. And that's so what I did. So let's talk about three, if you have, if you could 
hold it to three components of that model or the top three, because I'm sure because you're a thorough thinker, I can see it and I can receive how you think. What are the what are the most important elements of managing personal change? And, and, and I know this relates to sales because so much of sales is mindset and everyone has a different take on it. And one of the things I like to teach, I don't want to make this about me, I'll make it 30 seconds, is if, okay. you, if you don't know how to learn from your mistakes and have a motivation strategy that's not dependent on your feelings in the moment or the events of the day, but rather it's linked to your values and your vision, you're fucked. Yeah, absolutely right. So let's talk about your the three of the the elements of what we were discussing. So the first one is, is if you think of typical change management today, again, forget that we haven't been taught, most of us haven't been taught how to manage it throughout the absence of a process or a model. But what happens to your body and to your mind when a change situation happens, you have stress, you have anxiety, you have fear, and it doesn't even have to be a negative change. Think of like a marriage, you know, well, there's, the, there's the- I try not to, Grant. <laughs> I mean, it happens. Whoever the happy couple are, that typically, you know, one person is going, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing this, but it's supposed to be the happiest day of their life. And it is, but still your body and mind reacts the same way. If it's a positive change or a negative change, it doesn't matter. So that's number one. How do you manage personal change? Your body is telling you something wrong. And we don't have a process today, or at least we haven't been taught how to manage that. Right. Number two is that if you invite critical reflection in, you can de-stress, have less anxiety, and start to begin to break down the change so that it's more digestible for you in your mind. Critical reflection allows you to take control over it and allows you to start to logically think it through. That's where scared so what came from. How what's do you the difference if I can grant? What's yeah. the difference between self-critical? Uh, what was the term you used? Self-critical examination. Critical, re critical reflection. What's the difference between critical reflection and self-attack? Because it would seem they could conflate with someone who has a lot of trauma and has been told you you're worthless or you can't learn or you're not worthwhile. How do you deconflate those two things? Yeah. Well, from the first part of it, self-attack, if you are being attacked, that is a situation where you almost need to go into a deflection. How do you get yourself to be away from that situation in this? No, I mean, internally, I mean, the person is, a lot of people will confuse critical reflection with being self-critical and, and self-downing. Critical reflection it should be an inviting space. It's about giving yourself personal time and personal space to reflect. But it's not just, uh, I'm going to glaze over it. I might take a look at it. It's actually breaking down and saying, how do I methodologically look at each step of the process of what's happening? And that is how you give yourself the ability to actually critically focus and reflect on a process uh, through the use of a model uh, a model system, which is okay. what, what we're put into play. Yeah. Okay. And you're not attacking yourself. This is not demeaning or demoralizing to yourself. This is actually looking at the process and breaking it down. I understand. I had to bring it up. Please. That's fine. Yeah, it's good. It's good because a lot of people do. They start to attack themselves. And that's not the purpose of this. Critical reflection should be uh, an inviting moment, an inviting time for you to say, well, what is happening? Almost like a self-coach. 
right? How do I coach myself? And so scared, so what does that? It bring allows you to first for uh, look at your feelings. What are you feeling about the change? And then scared breaks it down. Am I surprised by the change? Am I conflicted or do I champion the change? What actions can I take to look at the change? Ooh. I see your face. You're like, ooh. Wait, wait, wait. I'm yeah. a marketer and I've written, I'm an author. Champion the change. Mm -hmm. That is the great title of the book, Champion the Change. How to lovingly examine the challenges in your life and find the solutions that fit. And but I'm just thinking, uh, you excited yeah. my marketing mind. Champion the change. Looks and do, yeah, that would be looking at it because the way the way scared so what is broken down. Scared is broken down uh, uh, by energy. So you have positive energy for positive change, which is where champion would came, come. I like the change. I'm championing it. Um, you also have neutral energy, which is I'm uncertain or I'm not feeling. I'm not afflicted by the change. You also have negative energy, which means I don't like this change where confliction comes from. I could be conflicted by it because I'm uncertain or I don't like it. And so it's the different sides of the spectrums of energy. And this is where this model is truly bespoke because organizational change models forget the individual and they're linear. This one isn't. This no, is change is not linear. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's very non-linear, circular. I try to tell this to my clients. You can pro progress doesn't go hockey stick. It goes this and then that mm -hmm. turns around. That's very smart, astute observation of you. Well, and my I got I can't say that I, I I got that, but I mean it comes directly from my professor, my lead professor, Dr. Philip Squire. He describes change and transformation as this: take a caterpillar. He is a caterpillar at one stage, then he goes into a cocoon stage, which is chaos, and then he turns into a butterfly. You're not trying to change and become a better caterpillar. You're trying to transform. <laughs> I love that. Uh, right? I'm going to, that should be a poster. The caterpillar <laughs> doesn't try, you become a better caterpillar. <laughs> Transformed. And that's, and people understand that when you explain uh, it that way. That you know, would make a great cartoon. It's a caterpillar yeah. and it says, hmm, how can I be a better caterpillar today? That, yeah. that would be hilarious. Well, and the caterpillar could change, right? And change, when, when people say change and change management, that means that you can always go back to the way it was. But when you transform into that butterfly, you, you can't go back, can you? And no. so that's the difference. No. People confuse that. They confuse change management and transformation and think it's the same. It's completely not. This is this is pretty freaking, this is freaking amazing. Your and wheels because, are turning. Wait, 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 wait. Because I'm thinking also as a healer, transformation if you have the courage and you see the results of transformation in one area of your life mm -hmm. it's going to generalize out and become a healing practice so in a sense what you're doing is is teaching healing i don't know if you've ever looked at it from that perspective but it, it, and you're but you're so right and it is and that's where scared so what as the world's first model and methodology to learn how to manage personal change is transformational you know i built this for my salespeople so that i could learn how to drive and help them to be better salespeople because as a salesperson you're in a very unique scenario you're caught in between two leading bodies and leading entities one is the company itself with all the kpis and the pressures and the processes yeah. they put on the salesperson the other is the customer who has the other side the other perspective 
And especially with what we do in B2B sales, sometimes you're ghosted, sometimes sales don't go through, um, and then you're just bounced back and forth. So I wanted to learn how do I lead those people through change? But scared so what when it was born in the global pandemic, which was a beautiful place to test a change model, literally, people were in chaos. Um, We found out so fast through all the research that it applies to everybody. We had children as young as 14 years old who were using scared so what faster than their parents could use it because they had less conscious bias towards learning to where uh, uh, we found that the more senior people were like, ah, I know it all. And the kids were like knowing, mom, I'm not scared anymore. Here's my so what. It was just phenomenal. Um, and that was across language, across cultures. We, it was actually tested here in Europe, Middle East, and Africa, from Russia all the way to America. Uh, people were able to apply the concept of, am I scared? What do I feel about the change? How do I make an informed decision versus an assumption? And then I'm making better change or change decisions. And then so what can I do about it? What's my own so what? And what's my plan? Let's dive into one of the questions because we're we're just going through here super fast and I got to let you go. What is the difference between sales training and sales education? Ah, I love this question. I get it so much too. So if I sum up sales training, do you remember the 1980s? I think vaguely some of us do. Of course, I'm going to be 65 (laughs) very shortly. (laughs) There you go. Well, you look great. I remember the 1980s. Yes, sir. I love the 80s. But in the 80s uh, came consultative sales training. And those were the tips and tricks to overcome objections, manipulate the sales process, and close, 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 always be closing. That is training. And for a while, exactly, it worked. Um, but on most people, we just wanted to hang up on you or get out. The world uh, the world continues to evolve. And so now we are living in what's known as an democracy where people are emotional. They oh. base their decisions based off of emotions and emoting. They consider brands before they consider the facts and evidence behind what the, the service or product does. And if you try to overcome someone's objections or manipulate them with typical old sales training, you're gonna fail. People just don't want that anymore. They'll hang up the phone, they won't answer. But sales education now is starting to boom with a master's, a true master's in science. There's undergraduates in science with sales now over here in Europe. And you can get your doctorate and PhD or DPROF in sales. And this process looks at the science behind selling to what you said in the earlier, which is what are the values, what are the behaviors, and what are the ways and people want to be sold to tied to those values and behaviors, and you need to align. If you are not in the positive mindsets, you're in the negative and you won't win. So it's very- When you said science, you know about neuroscience, because I interviewed a guest uh, a week ago who has training in neuroscience, and he brings that to his sales model. When you say science, do you mean neuroscience or something else? Neuroscience, looking at the structures of the sales process itself and how it should be. Um, but then tying into what you do, I think, which you're the expert, even better, if you look at the psychological aspects, what values and behaviors should you portray? How do you live them? How do you demonstrate them? And how do you actually behave in the way the customers want to be sold to? That's not in the 1980s or any training no. tips or, or training programs. And that's where the Consalia Sales Master's Program with Middlesex University comes into play. 
I think this circles back to your childhood and challenging authority and being put in a situation uh, living in Kansas as someone who's gay would be the ultimate challenge. <laughs> so I want to oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah, I want to thank you. We've run out of time. This is, I think we've been on almost 30 minutes. It's flown by. I know mm -hmm. people are going to want to stay in the conversation with you. There's no way after watching this, they're going to think, okay, I'm done. So how <laughs> do people stay in the conversation with you, Doc? Well, if you can follow me on LinkedIn, uh, Dr. Grant Van Elbrick, I love to connect there, heavy there. We'll put, also, the link, we'll put the link yeah. in the show notes. Yeah, go Perfect. ahead. We can do that. And then you've got my website, which is scaredsowhat.com. There you can actually get my new book, Transforming Sales Management, Lead Sales Teams to Change. It applies to everybody. But you can also download the world's first personal change app called Scared So What? And you can manage personal change in the palm of your hand. I love that. Is that app that's on the uh, Apple Store? Yep, Apple and Android. And it's free for individuals around the world to use. Uh, so you can download that and you can take quizzes. You can see your results. Uh, you can make your own So What plan. And for corporations, we'll work together and it's licensable. Yeah, I could totally see the B2B applications as well as B, uh, B2C. All right, Dr. Grant, we have really enjoyed your appearance. Stay on because I want to have a little chat with you afterwards. Thank you all for joining us on this episode of the Influencer's Edge, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Rapid Sales Accelerator. If you're ready to skyrocket your sales by 30% or more in just 90 days, then you need to claim your free training right now. You'll learn four words that will compel your prospects to trust you like they were children within the first three to five minutes of any conversation across any platform in any medium. You'll learn how to give your prospects objection amnesia to crush objections like I need to talk to my spouse or I need more time to think it over or it's too expensive. And finally, you'll get a free recorded audio training that will install unbelievable attitudes for success and wipe out any limiting beliefs. So if you'd like to claim your free training now, go to www.paulrossbook.com. Do it before your competition does it now. Thank you for tuning in to the Influencer's Edge, where you get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools, and techniques so you can leapfrog over the pack at sales, influence, and persuasion. Remember to visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com to enjoy even more great episodes like this one. We look forward to seeing you again on the Influencer's Edge Show.